Good morning. If you would turn with me to Romans chapter 15. You'll notice in the bulletin, not what the bulletin says. I, my plan was to get back onto Romans this week, and um, I was confused as to where we were, and I thought I knew where we were, and it didn't seem right, but I just thought it was. And even Barbie said, I think we've already done this. No, I don't think so. And, and finally, uh, last night, I discovered we've already done this. So, <laughs> Romans 15, 1 through 7. <clears throat> It says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. For, whoever, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through evidence and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord, accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may be one voice, in, with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning in deep gratitude. Father, in gratitude for those who know you. And Father, each of us in our way are weak. We're weak without you, Father. We're weak in our, our sanctification and growing closer to you. And yet, Father, through your design, through your perfect design, you've designed it that each of us would continue to grow closer who are in Christ, that each of us would be at different spots or places in our walk with you. Father, through that, that we might bear with one another as Christ has bared with us. Father, I would ask this morning that you would give us understanding to your word. Father, that we might not just hear your word, but Father, rightly apply them, rightly grow to be more like you. I would ask if you would please go off today. Father, let, let it be true of us that we would glorify your name, Father. Yes, this is morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning we come to Romans chapter 15. 
And what a blessing it is, um, even though it's been some time ago that we um, were going through the text just before this, because that text gives us understanding um, for this text we find ourselves in today. That Romans 15 is building, building upon this idea of bearing with one another, or this idea of inside of the church there will be those who are strong and those who are weak. In Romans 15, 1, it says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So to understand verse 1, we have to understand what is it that makes one strong and what is it that makes one weak. Is this, what, what is this talking about? Is this talking about sinful behavior? Um, as we went through the chapter just before, we understand that this isn't in relation to sinful behavior. It's not in relation to um, those things of which we should not be a part. This isn't telling us that we are to bear with our neighbor who, who um, goes to Walmart every day and, and shoplifts and, and comes to church and has a little um, stand in the corner selling his goods that he um, scored that week in a shoplifting endeavor. It's not saying to bear with that person. It's not saying to just, just grin and bear it. We don't like what he's doing, but, you know, we just, we just want to get along. And yet that's the position that so many American um, churches have taken. That we must do whatever it takes to just get along. We must do whatever it takes to just bear with one another. This morning, you, um, if you've been um, here and heard us preach through the previous chapters of Romans, you're at a benefit or you're at an advantage. Um, or if you just read through your Bible, you're at an advantage that others seem to not have when they come to this text. And so if we think back, what is it? What is it about those who are strong, and what is it about those who are weak? If you remember, um, just before, we came through um, and looked at the understanding of um, what this means. It, it was essentially this, if you remember, that there became a controversy within this church or disagreement within the church as to what we should eat and what we should not eat. The question of, of, of those ceremonial things that were the ceremonial laws that were laid out into the Old Testament, those things of which um, Christ fulfilled, um, came into question. And those, uh, in simple terms, it was this. Is it wrong to eat ham at my neighbor's house? Is it wrong for my Christian brother who... who who has ate, who has avoided eating ham, avoided eating pork his entire life because uh, the Old Testament tells us not to eat that. And he has done, um, he has obeyed this law up until the point of Christ for his whole life. This is what's normal to him. In fact, to those Jewish people, and we talked about that this a little bit before, to those Jewish people who now Christ has came, Christ has fulfilled the law, he has fulfilled the ceremonial law. We no longer need to sacrifice animals. We no longer need to do those things of which cover our sin. Um, 
Those, things, those people have done this their entire life. In fact, many of which would think of, if they were to eat a pig, it would probably be the equivalent to you and I saying, hey, it's okay to eat dogs. Right? That gives us a weird reaction, right? Because culturally, we don't eat dogs. When, when I was in France, a restaurant served horse. And I tried to eat it, and I started to get the gag reflex by the end of it. I don't think it tastes much different than any other meat, but it's that cultural mindset that I have. You don't eat horses, right? We have horses to ride and to, to take all of our money to feed them, right? That's what horses are for. But these same uh, people are now learning that Jesus Christ, um, in Acts chapter 10, declared all foods are good. All foods are now okay. There's no longer this ceremonial law. And we could go dig deep into that, and that's not what we want to do this morning. But there, there's a change in their life. And so now we have, there's this major change within the gathering of believers. And on this side of the room, they say, hey, we can eat dogs now. We've got sweet baby rays. They're tasty. Let's eat them up. And the people on this side are gagging. They're like, what is wrong with you? We don't eat dogs. Obviously, they're talking about pigs. We don't do that. And, and this caused great controversy. It caused those people who, who have lived their lives not doing this, it, it caused strife within them. It, it was essentially what Scripture says, it was hurting their conscience. And essentially, this is what, what um, the position is. As long as you don't think you're earning God's favor by avoiding pork, don't eat pork. Right? As long as you don't think by this work you're earning God's favor, do as you wish. But to those strong who understand rightly what Christ has done, don't, don't destroy your brother because you know maybe Jake has, uh, Jake and his family have Marilyn over for breakfast and they know she doesn't eat pork. And they say, you know what? We're going to eat a lot of pork this morning. We're going to rub it in her face. She's going to have to sit there and eat oatmeal without any sugar, and we're going to sit here and eat bacon and stare at her. That's what the scripture is saying. Don't destroy your brother over things that don't matter. If you want to eat pork, go ahead. But don't destroy your brother over it. It's, it's secondary things. Don't destroy your brother over things that aren't important. This in no way is saying don't confront sin. This is no way, in no way saying we should um, overlook each other's um, sin or differences or, or maybe the church down the road, they, they come to embrace abortion as being okay. Just overlook that just so the world sees that you get along. That's not what the scripture says. There is no unity, there is no harmony in the truth, or in the church, outside of God's truth. If we place ourselves outside of God's truth to achieve harmony, we are not achieving harmony, we're achieving falsehood. We're, we're reaching out to the world with lies. 
Continuing on, Romans 15, 2-3. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. See, what it boils up, what it comes down to is God calls us to love our brother. He calls us to love each other. The, the drawing card of the church, or the drawing card that we have as a church to the world, isn't our great entertainment and our sound and our stages and smoke machines and these things. It's the love that occurs inside of this building between genuine believers. Now that love is only accomplished if we battle our flesh. We, we talked about this in Sunday school this morning a little bit. The problem that you and I have is that the core of all of us, um, born again or not born again, our flesh always tells us you are number one. I am number one in this room. And everybody would look at your pastor and you would say, well, my pastor doesn't think that. Wait till my kids don't have eggs cleaned and ready for me for breakfast. All of a sudden, why can't, why can't, nobody can go out and collect eggs and wash them and all of a sudden I start becoming angry. Why? Because my flesh has reminded me once again, you are number one. Don't worry about what they've done that day. Don't worry that they've not been here or whatever it is. But you and I are exactly the same. We have the same flesh. As believers, God has given us a new heart that desires to put this flesh into subjection to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And yet, it's still here. It's still a process. It's still a, a working through. But until we can begin to address the pride within us, until we can begin to say that I'm not number one, it becomes very difficult, if not impossible, to love our neighbor as we're called to. To love our fellow believer as we should. Why? Because for all of us at, at our flesh level, there is this deep desire whom we grew up with before God called us to himself. We were, we were at one with our flesh. We've, just like the Jewish people, we grew up with this flesh. Right? I wasn't able to transport into anybody else's flesh. I've been um, stuck with me for my entire life. I know me very well. And at the core of my flesh is always this deep desire to please me. And if you were honest, your flesh told you the same thing. Thank God that he gives us new hearts that battle this sin. Amen? But look at the example that scripture gives us. It says, For Christ did not please himself, but as it's written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Christ chose to not please himself. Look at John 4, 34. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. <clears throat> what was Jesus' desire? 
with us to please the Father. Amen? John 5.30, Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 6.38, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 8, 27 through 29, they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me, and he has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of, man, of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Luke 22, 42-44 says, Say, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. If you remember, this is just before Jesus is going to be crucified. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And look at this next verse. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Christ not only desired to please the Father, but he does, his desire to please the Father was so strong that even in his agony, such deep agony, that um, the medical field even says that this is possible. If you're in extreme agony, that blood can, or capillaries can bust and mix with your blood, and you can sweat blood from deep, deep, Agony. I have a problem loving my neighbor. If I have the agony of washing a couple of eggs. How about you? Do you love your neighbor as Christ has loved you? In Matthew 5, 46-47, says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Not even the tax collectors do this, or do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Not even the do not even the Gentiles do the same. In a in a table talk article from July of 2016, Nate Batzig wrote, We convince ourselves that we only have to accept those with similar values or perceived values. This, but we convince ourselves that we only have to do that, to accept those with similar values or perceived values. This, however, is not acceptance. It's affinity. Amen? Christ accepted you when you had nothing to offer. You were totally different from him. You were complete opposites. Christ is perfection. He is completely good. 
And yet, we, as we look in Scripture and, and we do just a short survey of what's inside of us, we find that we are completely bad. We completely miss the mark. We completely fail. We completely set our affections upon ourselves. And if we have, if to some extent we will place some affection on those who are like us, maybe those who are in our family or those who share a similar hobby or those who have a similar personality, we can we can muster up an ability to like those people. But we but when we look at someone who is different from us, maybe it's the the guy next door who's listening to music late at night, or, or maybe it's just the person sitting beside you this morning in the pew who has a different personality. We don't love them as Christ loved us. We tend to shun them off. We tend to not talk to them. We tend to keep our distance. We, content, we tend to not um, invite them over. And yet this morning, if Christ has chosen you, when if you have nothing to offer, and yet Christ chose to save you, chose to put his affection upon you, chose to not do his will, but to do the will of the Father, of which chose to save you, when you had nothing to offer, how the more sinful for us to not love our brother not love those who sit next to us. In James 2, 8 through 13, it says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as, a, as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act, and, sorry. So speak and so act as those who are judged under the, liberty, under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Jesus Christ is completely unlike us. He loves those who cannot offer anything. He loves those who cannot please him in any way. And he still calls us friends. Continue on, Romans 5, 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, I'm sorry, let's not continue on. Romans 5, 6 through 11. For while we are still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, or while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God that our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have, we have now received 
reconciliation. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I would ask you this morning, while your brother or sinner this morning may be sitting in this room, while they are sinning against you, will you love them enough to bear with them? Will you love them enough to still call them friend? Will you love them enough to um, go to them? Oftentimes, what happens in um, churches, and one thing that we have to, we rightly this morning have to understand, and if you um, are thinking about something else, I would ask that you think uh, very closely on this. God has not called the church to be another VFW. Hasn't called the church to be a country club. It hasn't called the church to be the Eagle Club. Because I've been involved in clubs. I've been involved in um, good things. I've been I've been a, a member of the, the Hamilton Emergency Ambulance Service, where we um, strive to help people who were in an emergency. And do you know what went on within that club that I found very quickly? That there's always people fighting. There's always people fighting with each other. There's always people trying to get so-and-so in trouble, and they don't want to be going around with this person or that person. And you go to the country club, and it's the same thing. And you go to the Eagle Club, and it's the same thing. There's always people fighting. The church is not a country club. Hear me this morning. The church is not a club. It's not okay for us to have factions. It's not okay for us to fight with each other. Now, there will be times when we sin against each other, and, and often times I give people this advice. If someone does something against you that, that you can just shake off and say it's no big deal and, and still love them and still move on and still be great friends with them, then shake it off. Don't worry about it. But if it's something that you can't live with, if it's something that's going to keep you up at night, or if it's something that's going to cause you to always sit on the other side of the church from that person, if you love them, you will go to them, and you will share what they've done. And you will give them opportunity to repent. You'll give them opportunity to make things right. And if that doesn't work, you'll, you'll go to a friend, a, a friend believer, and you'll explain to them, and, and you'll go to them, and perhaps you find out that you were wrong all along. And if that doesn't work as Christ has told us, if they are in outright sin, then you are commanded to take it to the church. Not because you hate that person, not because you want to see um, them put out of the church or anything like that, but because you love them so much, you want them to be reconciled to you and reconciled to Christ. You don't want them to live in this world where they think everything is okay until they take their last breath and they awake and hell. That is the most hateful thing you could do to a person, is to convince them that everything is okay. Never be willing to confront them. Never be willing to say, hey, brother. You can't do that. You can't. This, this is what scripture says about the thing you're doing. You can't continue in this. This is what Christ told us. This morning in Sunday school, we, we talked for just a bit. 
Christ cannot be your savior, or Christ cannot be your savior, or I'm sorry. If Christ is your savior, he is also your Lord. It can't be absent. You, he, you can't have him as a savior and not have him as a Lord. You can't go to scripture and say, this is what scripture says, but I don't like it. I'm going to live how I want and still say Christ is your savior. Because the Bible says he is your Lord and savior. He is your commander and savior. When he changes your heart, it, it's, not, it's not even that you obey him that gets you salvation. It's the fact that you're saved that you want to obey him. You desire to please him. You, desire, you begin to desire to be as he is to the Father. My desire above all is to please the Savior. This morning, if you have something in your heart against your brother, if he has done something to you, and this morning you avoid him or you feel differently towards him and and you can't let it go because it's that important. Now, if it's not important, I would command you to forgive him. Christ forgave you of way more. Somebody could, um, somebody could break into my parents' house today and, and beat them to death. And it will not even come close to the offense that I've committed against Christ with my life. If I can't forgive somebody, it's because I don't understand what I've been forgiven of. So this morning, forgive your brother. Don't just say, oh, I forgive him, I'm not going to hold on to it. But not love them, not, not, not want to, to spend time with them, not want you to know them. But really forgive. Really put it behind you. And if you can't, go to him and say, hey, um, do what Scripture has told you to do. It's okay. Our, our American culture, um, we became so ingrained with not offending anybody that somebody could be stomping in my cookie jar every day and not know it, and I, I wouldn't say anything. But when I saw that maybe Marilyn walked with my, let me come up with a bizarre story, I put my cookies and bags on my sidewalk, and Marilyn's um, maybe working on the, the weeds or planting flowers, and every day she steps on my cookies. <laughs> but instead of saying anything to her, I just be quiet. I don't want to offend Marilyn. But after weeks of this, I avoid Marilyn. Don't want to see her. She steps on my cookies. Before long, it grows. I don't like her. I don't want to be around her. Before long, uh, Marilyn, you know, we kind of need this church pew open up here. Could you move to the back? <laughs> all right, this is all extreme. But this is what goes on in our hearts. It's the same with me being number one in the flesh saying that. It's the same thing that goes on in your hearts. What if I overcame the American culture and I said, hey, Marilyn, can I talk with you a minute? Um, I put my cookies here, and, and you keep stepping on them, and you know I'm really, I, I don't, I feel like you're being very disrespectful. Is there a reason for that? And Marilyn says, oh, 
Those are cookies. I thought that was dirt you had here. <laughs> I didn't realize they were peanut butter cookies. I thought it was some fertilizer or something. I thought I was mixing it up for you. And then she comes over with a great big batch of monster cookies. And I love my sister. We're, we're reconciled. Amen? Let's not do this within the church. When we take small offenses and we build them up, and we build walls and we don't love each other, and we, we come together and we do our duty and we, we hurry up and get out of here to go to people that we really love. These are the people you are to really love. These are the people that you're called to live in harmony with. Containing on Romans 15, 4. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might find hope. This harmony, we're reminded here in, in Romans 15, 4, this harmony can only be achieved in truth. It can only be achieved in scripture. There can be no true unity apart from the Word of God. That is why the American culture of not offending anybody doesn't work. It's not rooted in the Word of God. This is why um, for many years we have, uh, for many decades, we have um, been influenced by, oddly enough, it's called Campbellism. Um, there's a mainstream Christian denomination that its roots are in Campbellism. It's not, not, nothing to do with me. I don't believe it. But Campbellism is this. It says, we must get along at all costs. Doesn't matter what the other churches in town believe, we must get along. We must gather, we must do things where we all gather together and we hold hands and we, we sing songs together because that's what's going to win the world. But in reality, Jesus Christ is who wins the world and he is the word of God. He is truth. We cannot be unified apart from truth. Romans 15, 4 reminds us this is talking about the Old Testament. It says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Our hope is founded in the scriptures. It's not founded in cast everything off that makes us different and just get along. So this morning, if, if you take it to heart, if, if your brother does have something against you and you decide to go to him, be sure that you have searched the scriptures. Be sure that you're coming to him with scripture. Not just, I don't like what you said. Not just, um, for instance, maybe, um, I don't know how you even put it. Maybe, maybe somebody confronts me and says, you know, your me number one is really starting to show a little bit in these areas. And then I decide that I don't like them after that. Maybe somebody biblically comes to me 
Or maybe they just they think this is what Scripture says, and they're trying to help me see it. But maybe I don't like it, and after that, um, I just decide that I'm going to stay away from that person. We can't come to somebody and say, um, I didn't like that you pointed something out in Scripture that I shouldn't be. Um, maybe, maybe it's that someone is living with their boyfriend. And one of the older ladies in this church goes to this young lady and says, Hey, um, I want you to see in Scripture what this says about what you're doing. And then from then on out, there's a chip. And they stay away from you. And then I'm not saying this morning that that's you. If they were right, if, if Scripture says that you shouldn't do that, you should love that person more than anybody else in the church. Because they were the one willing to tell you truth. Amen? You can't go to them and say, well, I didn't appreciate you pointing Scripture out to me. You're not going to find support for that in Scripture. You're going to find support for you should love them. Look what Jesus said. To, to, to think of that, to, to think of the idea where we should just forget about doctrine and just, just get along. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 34 through 36. He says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace to the sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Why? The unsaved person hates the truth. If God miraculously saves someone from a household where everybody else is not saved, and they begin to stand up for the word of God, it brings a sword. There's going to be much hard times in that household. Amen? And for you, the morning Christians, if you stand for the word of God, it's going to be more and more evident that you bring a sword to this world. They are more and more not tolerating it. It's going to continue to get worse and worse. Today might be a good day for you to decide, who will I stand for? Will I stand for the truth? Will I be obedient as Christ? Will I stand for the truth unto death? Because I don't think anybody in here is too old to not potentially be subjected to it. It could be very soon approaching that America could experience real persecution. Will you be obedient to death? If you say yes this morning, then why won't you be obedient to love your brother? Because that's easy. Amen? Romans 5, 5 through 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, that together we may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, harmony isn't even about us getting along. It's not even about saving problems from the church. Your pastor loses way less hair when people get along. Guarantee it. But it's not even about that. 
It's about glorifying our God, glorifying Christ, glorifying our Father. It's the very thing that God saved you for. See, the other problem with American culture is this. We think that God saved us because he, he did it for us. He did do it for us, but not primarily. God, if you are saved this morning, God saved you for him. He saved you that he would be glorified. He did it for you as a side effect. Do you get that? Because that's, this is hard for an American to understand. God didn't save you to get the salvation. What are you doing with it? Are you, are you taking advantage of the, the blessings that he, he has given you so that you might build up more entertainment? Um, I would say even things that, I'm, that are great to take advantage of. I love that, that my family and my kids get along. Now, they're not perfect kids, don't get me wrong. But one only has to spend a few minutes on social media and see a lot of people hate their kids. I've shed little tears in the last month thinking that one day my kids are going to move away. And you look at the world and they can't wait for Christmas vacation to get over with you. Get their kids out of their hair. This isn't the life of a believer. Within our family, we're to glorify God. Within our work, we're to glorify God. Within our relationships at home, we're to glorify God. When we come together on Sunday morning with our relationships, with our brothers and sisters, we're to glorify God. It is the chief end. We're to know God and make him known. It is our priority one as a believer. Is that our priority? And finally, I'll leave you with the command in Romans 15, 7. It says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. For the glory of God. Now this, well, I don't want to running out of time, but this doesn't just mean that we say hi to each other when we come to church. To welcome one another means we accept. We love. I I have I I can maybe stitch up your finger with a needle and thread. Other than that, Maddie and I, we don't have a lot of hobbies in common. Because Maddie can stitch everything I got. <laughs> I love Maddie. The world clings to those who are like them. The world clings to those who to think of my hobbies and the things I like and I don't like. Um, I'll be completely honest with you. And, and after this message, you still have to love me. If you put basketball on your TV and force me to watch it, 
it would be a heavy burden. <laughs> I would be, I would be smiling, and I would love you with my brother or sister. I would be bored to tears. <laughs> I have no interest in basketball. To the to the same. Caleb likes basketball. I love Caleb. I, I want to hang out with Caleb. And the, the, at the end of it, and, and I promise I'm concluding, no matter how different Caleb and I are, we have something greater in common. We're adopted children of the king. I might not be able to talk to him about basketball, but I might be able to say, Caleb, I was, I was reading the word of God this week, and this just stood out to me. Isn't this amazing? I, I was taking a, a uh, going through a course entitled The Reformed Pastor, and uh, the thing that this weekend, one of the messages that Ian Hamilton shared, he said the fuel for the Reformed Pastor is the understanding that God loves him dearly. And that's something I had to share with people. I said, do you know that God just doesn't love you? If you are born again, if you are a new creation, if you are an adopted child of God, he doesn't just love you. He loves you dearly. You are precious to him. You are redeemed. Even the, we said in Sunday school, even the angels marvel over you at the love God has for you. That's the fuel. That's why I can love you, even if you like that weird sport called basketball. I mean, come on, Caleb, the guys can touch the rim. It's not even hard. <laughs> Sorry. If God loves you dearly, and you have nothing to offer him, can we not love our brothers Sisters, do you like? Look around the room. I, I tell my kids, I tell young people all the time, you can have friends in the world, but they're really just acquaintances. In this room should be your best friends. Because you're going to be with them. If, if they're born again, you're, you're going to be with them for eternity. If I... If I go camping with my brother Rick for for two weeks, I can't go. There's people. I was a kid, but I can't go camping with my family for two weeks. One of the yesterday I was sharing with one of the guys. He he was talking about um, a brother um, in Meridosha. I said, oh, yeah, I love this guy. He's, he's a brother. He's like, oh, he's your brother? <laughs> well, not biologically, but, but, yeah, he's my brother. The relationship inside the church is different. Sure, we have our flaws. I have annoying things. My wife puts up with more than you could ever imagine. 
love her. I love Rick. And I'll hang out with you for weeks. And we're not fighting, we're getting along. I don't know that I've ever watched NASCAR. I'm not gonna, if I, if I did say something bad about it, you can't dislike me. <laughs> but I love people who watch NASCAR. Jake, I'll give you one last illustration. Jake can tell me all kinds of things, and, and Rick does too. Tell me all kinds of things about cars. Probably Kenny, Kenny would too. And I smile and say, oh yeah, that's nice. No idea what you're talking about, but good luck with that. What a blessing to have brothers that do understand. Brothers that I love and who love me and who will show up with oil in their hand and they'll say, if you're not going to change your car's oil, then I'm going to do it for you because I can't watch this. <laughs> Amen. I'm joking around now, but we're different. Amen. We're different people. But Christ bore with us. And we have nothing to offer. Let us glorify God by loving our brother and sister. Not just saying it, not just being nice to each other once a week, but really loving them. Preferring them. I, I love my parents. I prefer to go on vacation with any of you. Why? We have something to talk about. That's something that we're all interested in as born-again believers. That's way more important to me to talk about than even politics. I can get wound up and entertained with politics, but you know what? It's, it's a hell of beans compared to Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. My Father, we come to you this morning with, with the command to, to love each other. But, but even more than the command to love our neighbor, but to live in harmony with one another as believers. And Father, so many times, I have failed. So many times, Father, we have failed. Father, if there are those or anyone in this room who they feel like their sin is more than you could ever put up with, if they feel they're past the point of ever being redeemed, ever being saved, Father, I pray that you would reassure them that they don't know me. And that God, there's not one in here who ever came to you, whom you saved, who ever had anything to offer but the sin that made salvation necessary. Father, this morning I pray 
that they would turn to you. Your word says, your truth says, that if any man would come to you, you would in no way cast him out. Man, no matter where we're at in life, no matter how bad we are or think we are, your command is to repent and turn and trust in the work of Jesus Christ and to seek you until you give us a new heart. And Father, I pray that not another day we go forward until they sought you with everything that they had. Sought you until they found you. Sought you until you changed their hearts. And Father, for those who know you, for those whose heart you've changed, for those whom are agonized as this flesh that continues to, to drag us down, continues to think that we're number one, continues to to well up our pride that we wouldn't love the neighbor sitting next to us as we should. Father, help us to come. Father, I pray that this church in Elveston, that God above all, we would glorify your name, that we would be known for people who love God, who love each other. Father, we need you. Father, we need you. We need you to help us to separate truth from untruth. Help us to overcome things that we hold on to. Help us, Father, this morning to truly love you deeply, truly love each other deeply as you love us. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.